0: This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies.
1: Amplified. Welcome, everybody, to the Amner Martinez Podcast. And on this episode, as you all know, Frank County, the mayor of Des Moines, Iowa, is not running anymore, so there's three candidates. Josh Mendebaum connie Bozen and denver foot and one of them josh mandelbaum made some time for us and come to speak with us here at the emner martinez podcast so just for transparency this is not an endorsement of josh josh mandelbaum i am a voter so i'll make my choice when i'm in the ballot booth but we thought it was important to speak with um, with the candidates so we did invite uh connie Bozen and denver foot and we uh haven't heard from them yet but if we do we'll make it happen so we talked about uh his stance in uh transportation housing uh marijuana um what are the priorities his priorities uh what is the, uh, the issues at hand for him and uh why he's running and all that jazz so uh enough of me um this is a very important uh episode uh, he is somebody that you would have to decide whether you want to vote for him or not. So, uh, thank you for uh, thank you to Josh Mandelbaum for making time for us, or candidate councilman Josh Mandelbaum for making time for us and sitting down with us and answering our questions. Also, thank you to Chris Noth, our co-host. He we had some several questions for him, and I think we did a pretty good job. So, uh, but you be the judge of that. And um, and also. See if Josh is somebody that you're gonna vote for or not vote for. So thank you for listening. Please share, comment. Don't be mean if you comment. Uh comment with positive or constructive feedback. But um anyways, hope you listen to this one, share it, pass it on, and we'll see you on the next time. Um well thank you for joining us. Um Josh Mandelbaum. Yeah. Um, great to be here. Yes, so we're here with Chris Noth, and uh, as I was saying, you know, we built a platform that um, it lends itself for, for us to have an opportunity to have conversations with with people like yourself. Uh, you're uh, current city council, yep, and you're going to run for mayor. Yeah, so in, in the middle of it. In the middle of it, so we have a timer, we have this, the audience, we have the judges, so we'll give you 30 seconds, <laughs> 30 seconds per answer, no. <laughs> um, so... Tell us about you. Tell us, uh, you know, people that don't know who you are, um, potential voters. Tell us who you are and, and, and why you're running.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm Josh Mandelbaum. Uh-huh. I I grew up here in Des Moines and I um, have a lot of family history here in Des Moines. Uh, both sides of my family. Uh, both my parents grew up here. Uh, my wife and I are raising our two kids here. And they're going to some of the same schools that I went to and that shaped me. And then I, I come at this with a, a policy a public service background. So I, in my career, I've worked in public service. My first job out of college was at the Department of Transportation, uh, U.S. Department of Transportation in the Secretary's Policy Office. Uh, and it was a one-year fellowship. I, I was actually there during 9-11, which completely shaped the way that fellowship turned out and, and the things that we focused on. Uh, and then I came back to Iowa and I worked in the Vilsack Peterson administration. I, I was on their policy staff for four years, and when they weren't running for reelection, I went back to law school at the University of Iowa. Uh, and I was in private practice for a few years, and for the last eleven years, in my day job, I've been working as an environmental attorney. So I do climate, clean energy, and clean water work. So that that's my background. But to me, this race is is about being part of building a community that works better for everyone and provides opportunity to everyone. Uh, that's sort of the high level why why in this race. And part of what, what I use to illustrate, illustrate the why uh, is I think about my own family's story uh, in this community from an opportunity perspective. So I can trace my roots actually back to my great-great-grandfather who came here as a German-Jewish immigrant. Mm-hmm at a time when German Jewish immigrants didn't necessarily have opportunity everywhere. Mm. He faced discrimination, anti-Semitism. But in Des Moines, he had opportunity. He was able to open a small business, a small dry goods store, actually grow that business, and as it turned out, build a better life for himself, his family, and generations of his family. So when I talk about opportunity, that's what a great American city should provide. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are, How you got here, why you're here, how long you've been here—whether it's five months, five years, five generations—this community should work for you, should provide opportunity for you, should allow you to have a better life and a decent life, not just for yourself, but your family and the generations to come.
1: So you've been—you've been a city councilman for uh, six years. Six years. So what what made you make the switch from? Because a lot of people will will run city council their entire, you know, for yeah what made you say i can do i can be a mayor
2: Right. you you there's an opportunity to do more uh and and i think sometimes uh the the current council i think we uh a, as a council are maybe stuck in our ways on a lot of things uh and there's an opportunity for us to think bigger to be bigger to do more and it's the mayor's job to provide that vision, to provide that leadership, to, to get over some of those hurdles. And, and you see it on little issues and big issues uh, that I think we need more vision and, and to, to look at, you know, putting aside the status quo and pushing for, for things that, to do things a little differently, do things better.
1: So, so you jump in, f- in any time you want. but yeah, like I was you, just going to ask, mm-hmm. like,
0: what about that? Like, what, what different things?
1: Well, I'll, I'll give an example. It, this seems like a small
2: thing, but then when I think about the price tag, it's actually a pretty big thing. Um, one of the things I talk about, uh, it, it's a difference. Um, we kind of get mired in doing things the way we've always done things. And uh, the, the example I like to give is the Walnut Street Bridge. Which, uh, you know, if you've been around the last few years, we've reconstructed the Grand Avenue Bridge over the Des Moines River, the Locust Street Bridge over the Des Moines River, the Court Avenue Bridge over the Des Moines River. And then we also have the MLK Bridge over the Des Moines River. Well, next on our list, we've got reconstructing the Walnut Street Bridge. That's almost a $20 million project. Mm. And we could rehabilitate that bridge, make it pedestrian only for a fraction of the cost save money, add a different type of amenity downtown. But there's massive resistance. Mm. And the arguments that I've gotten, well, we need it for redundancy. Like, you know, it, it, it could impact the cars. Well, then I asked, well, what, what, what kind of traffic flow do we have? Well, it turns out that those other four bridges that I talked about, if we just had those, they have the ability to serve 51,000 vehicle trips a day pre-pandemic, there were about 18,000 vehicle trips a day. So we have more than enough capacity. It's just we're stuck in the way of thinking about it. And we're using dollars, in my opinion, in ways that could be better used because we're just stuck in this this old mindset. So
1: where would that money go for that bridge, for example, to be specific on that example that you're using? That that, that 20 million you would spend only for a little bit for the pedestrian? Right. Well,
2: Well, so that frees up a lot of thinking, right? Like- One of the things that's always hard is when you want to do something new or different, they say, well, where where do you find the money to do that? And and some of it, from a transportation perspective, I think we need to be focused on creating a more accessible community, a community that Mm -hmm. allows people who walk, who bike, who use transit to better access our community. And you can do a lot of small projects, whether it be filling sidewalk gaps so people can walk to school or a transit stop whether it be a road redesign so that transit is better incorporated, I, whether it be maybe a, a road diet where you take a road that has too many lanes and that is unsafe for folks uh, and you reconfigure it and use it better so that you maximize the resource, all of those things. You could do multiple projects like that uh, in multiple parts of our city for for the dollars that you're going to save on, on a Big project
0: like the Walnut Street Bridge. I'm glad that you brought that up, Josh. With transit, um, I wanted to ask you about Dart, and in a bigger picture, like obviously we're kind of a blue city in a red state, and that's one of those things that needs money from the state in order to be robust. So, how as mayor do you see working with the legislature or or doing what we can do to help Des Moines while still be mindful of the fact that we're in a red state and people have to kind of maybe adjust their expectations or, or go about it a certain way. Right. Yeah. So I
2: I've been on the, the dark commission for, uh, for the last four years. Um, I I actually was the alternate my first two years on the council and I, I was one of the only alternates that showed up to the meetings, even if I wasn't actually representing the city there just to learn the issues. Uh, and, and I've worked with, with the commission, um, one of the things that if we're, I think to your point, Chris, if we're going to have a robust transit system, the type of transit system that we need, we we need it to have funding beyond just the property tax uh, from a local perspective, uh, because Des Moines is at the 95% state, state cap from a property tax perspective. The suburbs have concerns that most of the services in Des Moines and they feel it's inequitable that for them to pay more, uh, so we're trying to balance balance and keep the suburbs on board because we we need the suburbs they help pay for the service but also you need that connectivity if you want to connect people to jobs in the metro if you right. want if you want to connect them. So we, we need to try and keep that balance. One of the things that we've done in the last few years is we've taken a look at the funding formula for Dart uh, and changed that to help keep the suburbs on board and make it a little more equitable but Des Moines had, uh, for going along with that, we said, look, we recognize that we need to change the funding formula to keep folks on board. But I hope you'll recognize we need to diversify our funding. And so our ask to the DART commission was that we lobby for new revenue from the state and, and that be the priority and that we'd be flexible on it. Well, we actually got, uh, we got an option. Uh, it's one of the few bright spots I, I don't know that I could name another bright spot actually mm-hmm. from the last legislative session, but the, the legislature uh, would uh, has authorized Des Moines to, to use the franchise fee, up to two and a half cents uh, on the franchise fee for transit funding. And that would allow us to help implement the funding formula, provide some relief to property taxpayers, and maybe even give us the flexibility to think about how we do some things differently or better from a service perspective. Uh, and, and so we, we got that passed now it only applies to Des Moines, uh, which some of my colleagues on the council are a little upset about, but we have that option. Uh, once we get, get to November, uh, and for the next few months, there's going to be a big debate about whether or not Des Moines enacts that option. And if we don't, we're looking at some pretty severe service cuts, Mm. which is going in the opposite direction of what we need. We know for transit to work for folks, our system. You know, we, we have sort of a bare-bones system, uh, and we have a hub-and-spoke system. We could use more crosstown routes. We could definitely use more frequency. You know, one of the things that that, that changes a transit system is when you get to a point where you can just walk outside when, when you're done with a meeting or done with a podcast, and you know that no matter where you're at, if a bus is going to come in 10 minutes, you're fine relying on that bus. as is a transportation option of choice because you're not going to wait. It's not going to take all that coordination.
1: On lame terms, can you, the, that two-cent option or uh, right. uh, that option that you're mentioning, how does that translate in like how many more buses or like how many more lines or like what what would that look like? Because that's one of the things that, um, I mean, I'm in the staffing industry. I, I talk about jobs and every single day, job seekers. And transportation is almost like, Thirty percent of uh, job seekers um, can't get to can get to work, so it's a big problem. So, what would that look like? Sometimes I'll tell people, "The one's a great place, you know, a great place to uh, raise your kids, and um, you know, da da da." Compared to all the big cities, but the transportation is not, mm-hmm. not. So, how would that translate what you're saying into like how many buses or how many more stations or what was that look? What would that look like?
2: Well, well, so part of it we have to figure that out. But I, I think uh, we, we don't know as much the proactive side. We know the service cuts that it would avoid because we've started having that conversation. So one of the challenges with Dart, right? There are a number of routes that, and these are good routes that come every 20 minutes, right? Which is decent frequency, but it's, it's not great. And then we have routes that are 30 and 40 minutes. If we don't pass the, the franchise fee, uh, most of our service is going to end up being every 40 minutes or every hour for a bus. And so what, what that does is you're still going to have access in a lot of the places, but your wait is going to be significantly longer if you have to transfer because we have, like I said, that hub and spoke system. So sometimes, you know, you're going across town and it might be 20 minutes from point A to point B, but you have to come downtown, wait to catch another bus, and go back out, and that's going to take a lot longer. And
1: who's in charge of passing that, the legislation, right? Uh, is yeah, there
2: so, so, so there are two pieces. Uh-huh. The city of Des Moines, the city council, is responsible for the franchise fee, and then the DART commission is responsible for the DART service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so without the franchise fee, the DART commission is faced with a, budget and structural deficit so their option is and to come.
1: who who's the who's the who's the uh, party or like the what uh, who opposes this so the Commission is for it the city is for it wants it well, who's the one that votes against it uh well so it's unclear how the Des Moines City Council is going to vote on this
2: uh, and that that's the first the first step is the Des Moines City Council has to be willing to pass the franchise fee which will take some of the burden off the property tax base and and secure the revenue and it's unclear what uh what what the council is going to do i I know where i'm at because i know how important transit is to Mm -hmm. this community Mm -hmm. how important it is to connecting people to jobs to health care to child care and if you don't have a strong transit system this community can't work for everyone yeah
1: and but that's one of the things that so chris and i sat down we're like what questions can we come up with we're two concerned citizens we've vote i'm gonna be a new voter i just became yeah, a u.s citizen awesome. so congratulations thank you yeah so so we were like well it's a blue city surrounded you know when in, in a red state so it's it's ho- what would you do exactly to go and um and uh um, get these things passed w- knowing that you know it's a pretty you know it's become it's red now i mean it's not purple i would i mean with the lgbtq or anti-lgbtq um uh, bills that it has been passed, like it's a, it's a big task. How would you do it or who do you talk to or like how would you go about it as a mayor? Yeah, well, we need to use our voice
2: more. I, you know, one of the things, we, we're the biggest city in the state and we have the opportunity to lead on issue after issue. And part of what we have to do, we have to look at the things that, that we can do at the local level and there's almost always something that we can do on any issue. It might not be the biggest thing on the issue, but there's likely something that we can do. And then we have a voice. So we need to be creative and do the things we can from a policy perspective on every issue that we can. And then we need to use our voice and engage more. So one of the things, uh, I'll I'll give an example. And again, this is where I am maybe in a different place than my colleagues. During the school voucher debate this last legislative session, I thought that we should have been opposed to the school voucher debate bill as a city. I was personally opposed. I I posted messages on my social media. I, I said what I could in public forums uh, that that the voucher bill was hugely problematic because so much of what we're trying to do as a city is create strong neighborhoods, and you can't have strong neighborhoods without strong neighborhood schools, and when. When you pass something that is going to gut funding for our neighborhood schools uh, and only help a few, uh, that's going to have a massive impact on on the city. Uh, that's not just a school issue. And I care about it personally. You know, my kids are seven and nine. They're in the public schools right now. They're going to the same public schools I went to, and I want I got a great education in Des Moines public schools. I want them to get just as good an education, but not just them. I want everyone in our community to. And so sometimes we've got to advocate and, uh, and use our voice and be a part of that debate up at the state level. But then there are other things we can do. So, for example, on the school side, we've put dollars into creating six new preschool programs. We use some of our American Rescue Plan Act dollars, and we're creating preschool, full-day preschool classrooms at six elementary schools. Now, that, that's a development and education tool for those kids, I mean, early childhood education is one of the most important pieces for every, every kid to get access to. But it has a bigger impact, right? It strengthens that neighborhood school, it makes that neighborhood school more attractive. But for those families that now get preschool, and it's not just preschool, it's the wraparound care, so it's a full day, that's childcare for those families. I mean, it was, when my kids got, got to the point where they were in school, rather than us having to figure out childcare, that's a big relief for working families and we can do things like that that strengthen our schools like that's not our primary focus but we can strengthen our schools that way we should look at how we can do more preschool because we have some local option sales tax dollars that are meant to strengthen neighborhoods well I'd argue that adding preschool classrooms to neighborhood schools strengthens neighborhoods again that that goes back to one of your first questions about doing things a little differently I mean we're, we're not we have not thought about local option sales tax dollars that way, but there's nothing stopping us from thinking about it that way and doing things that way.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I've got a question, kind of similar topic about what we can do, what you can do as mayor, but shifting shifting the subject over to criminal justice reform. Um, looking at city of Des Moines, you know we've got a, a situation where Black people were three times more likely than white people to be arrested for the same crimes. Um, you know, we look around the country, we see a lot of cities, even in red states, that. Have found ways to decriminalize marijuana or make it a lowest enforcement priority, um, yet here in Des Moines we haven't seen any progress on that. Um, how would you approach marijuana? How would you approach issues of criminal justice reform and kind of what what would your assessment be of how Des Moines is doing on that stuff?
2: Uh, we could be doing a lot better. Um, so I have been outspoken. Uh, one of the things that that we did do that that I thought was positive, uh, you know in 2020 we had a marijuana task force. Uh and right. we we asked that group to look at the things that we could do as a city. And that included some high level things, you know, the advocacy approach where we take a position on state level bills to legalize, to decriminalize. And and I will tell you, the the best option would be for the state to legalize marijuana, treat it like alcohol, regulate it, tax it, mm. you know, that that makes it That's the easiest way and the the cleanest way to address marijuana. But in the task force recommendation was to make marijuana the lowest enforcement priority for the the city of Des Moines. And I have vocally supported that. Uh, I am completely on board. I think we need to do that. The the question right now is how do you get four votes to do something like that? Uh, Because that's ultimately what it takes at the city council level to make that change. Uh, And that's where we haven't had the four votes. Uh, How many
1: votes do you th- is there? there? There's four s- and there's yes. seven of us. So, right, but who votes? Uh, not who, but like who has opposed it and who has, g- or it hasn't gotten to the vote yet. Right, well,
2: So, a lot of times, the way, for better or for worse, the way the council functions is there are things that don't even get to the agenda if it's not going to pass. So, a lot of the votes oh. you'll see are consensus votes or it's five two votes mm. or six one votes because things don't get on the agenda. If, if folks don't know it's going to pass. And so this is one of the things that we had some discussion about it, but it, it's never, uh, it's been never, voted the votes. On? it's never been voted on. That's part of why I try. And when I come on podcasts like this, I try and be absolutely clear. I support X. So if you're part of the public and you're, you're trying to count your votes and figure out, okay, why has this not been voted on? Well, you know, I support it. So I'm not the one that's holding that up. Uh, Uh, but there are other council members who I don't think, uh, don't think support it. I think there was maybe some momentum for it. Um, and then, uh, I think the police chief made some comments about how he, he wouldn't enforce or would have to enforce state law, but it's not, you're not saying that you don't enforce state law. You make it the lowest enforcement priority. So you're not um, yeah. you know, I, I did a ride along and if you ever do a ride along, you know, every single call that comes in gets a priority. Uh, and, and pretty much the police are focused on those high priority calls. Uh, when I did my ride along, we went and we went and investigated a complaint in an apartment building of, uh, the smell of marijuana. And it's those type of things that would become a lower enforcement uh, priority. Uh-huh. Um, and it's the type of thing where. Um, you know, maybe if you don't have, if you don't see it, like if, if you don't have concrete evidence that it is there, you're not, you're not searching someone's car. Yes. Smelling it like, right. So what? (laughs) Right. Right. Smelling it is not, right. Is not evidence of possession. Like Uh someone could have used it somewhere. Like, so you, you stop searches based on that. That has a big impact in the way we do policing
1: yeah it's such a d- criminal justice such a like a chain reaction to things you know so that's why a lot of children are being raised by single parent because some parents are or some people are there for like marijuana possession which is uh you know it's a it's gonna be legal at some point and so you're in jail for like a non-violent crime and your child is you know which affects that single mother more than likely to have a job her own, and you know, needing childcare, so it's like a huge chain reaction. It sounds right. small, but it's it's so big. But I wanted to ask you about the, um, you know, it, educate me a little bit. Um, so when the president comes, um, when s- president gets elected, they bring their cabinet, right? Mm-hmm. They bring their team. Um, who are you able to hire and not hire? How does that work for the mayor, like is the police chief, somebody that you can hire? fire is the city manager like who what how would it look like if you get elected like what can you do to make it like really impactful and be like i got my team now because you know um some people are hired from previous from a previous mayor, right so like what would it look like what would that look like so we
2: have a weak mayor system here in des moines Mm -hmm. uh so what that means is we have a weak mayor city manager form of government Mm -hmm. uh so so that means the the council and mayor collectively hire and fire three people primarily: the city manager, the city attorney, uh, and the city clerk. The city manager is the one who hires and fires the department directors. Mm. So, I, uh, you know, if, if we're unhappy with the the direction, we we provide that feedback to the city manager. We can hire or fire the city manager. The the question is, does any one decision of the city manager rise to the level of uh, of making a change like that? And that that's part of the challenge. And then the other part of the challenge is if the council disagrees, the council and mayor disagree. Like if there's a split, some people agree with the decision, some people disagree with the decision. How do you incorporate that into to your evaluation? So it's a it's a balance. So the mayor doesn't have a lot of hiring and firing power here in here in Des Moines. What the mayor has is appointment power. The mayor appoints the other council members to to the boards and commissions around the metro, uh, which has a much bigger impact than people realize. You know, there's a big difference in terms of how I would approach things on Dart versus how some of my colleagues would approach things on Dart. That makes a big difference. Who's appointed to be our rep on DART matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Similarly with the MPO, the Metropolitan Planning Organization, and the Metro Waste Authority. So those appointments matter. Appointments to the Des Moines Water Works Board, the Airport Authority, the Planning and Zoning Commission. The mayor has a a bit more appointment authority than others on the council do. Uh, And then the other piece, the mayor has much more of a bully pulpit uh, the mayor has the ability to get attention, to set the agenda, to to talk about issues. Uh, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to even in the absence of a vote to make sure, for example, on making marijuana the lowest enforcement priority. If the mayor is out there talking about it, uh, my hope is that other members of the council will get questions from their constituents and even the media so that folks know okay this is where the holdup is
1: this mm-hmm.
2: this is who is for this idea who's against the idea the mayor can help set that agenda and drive that agenda in ways that i think are really important
1: and maybe you could transition to another one of the questions but we were talking about voter turnout and how it's uh, there's a big um the the numbers are kind of scary when you look at how many people actually vote for city council and and mayor, especially on non um, presidential years. Right? What do you call that? The non like uh, a midterm or something? yeah, the yeah. midterm stuff. Yeah. So yeah.
2: I, I I call it an off off year because yeah. the midterm is uh you know the midterm was like what we just had in twenty twenty two, uh and we're in twenty twenty three so we're not even on the same ballot as governor or Congress. Like
0: the only thing that's on the ballot is city and school board. So we looked into the numbers. And so correct us if we're wrong on any of these. But in 2021, when you last ran for council, you won with 66% of the vote. Uh, But that was only 5,258 votes in your award. Across the whole city, only 31,138 people voted out of 145,613 voting age residents. Uh, so with voter turnout like that, we're looking at like about 21%. Um, and if we take out like people with felonies, right, or people that, that are not citizens and can't vote, even that, even if we take them out, there's still a lot of people that are just choosing not to vote or like not engaged. Um, so what do you make of that? Like what, what, do we, what does that say about our system or about um, the residents of Des Moines and a lot of them just being disengaged from – the process, or feeling like, it, like like it doesn't work for them, or it's not serving them, or there's no point in even paying attention enough to spend 20 minutes voting every every two years. It seems like such a small thing to do, but uh, I've always believed that not voting is also a choice. And so, what what do you make of those numbers?
2: Yeah, well, I think uh, you know I think part of it is the way we engage folks, uh, and and the the fact that. Uh, we engage the folks that it's easy to engage, the people who are already engaged, the people who are at neighborhood association meetings, and and those things are important, right? It's important to, to talk with folks, but, but we don't reach a lot of a lot of the other folks, uh, and it and it's hard. I've been out knocking doors most evenings uh, and weekends, and, you know, I start with a list, so I start with people who I think are more likely to vote than not, uh, but if I Come across them, I'll talk to anyone who I come across when I'm at, when I'm out there, and there there are people in our community that, I mean, I can knock doors in my ward, and there are people who I've represented on the council for six years, and they have no idea that I'm their city council member, mm. um, and some of that's on me, right? It's how we communicate and how we get in front of folks, but some of it's their their life circumstances, right? They're they're focused on. You know, if they have one or two jobs and young kids and they're they're just busy uh, and they don't necessarily think about it that often. Uh, and so we've got to figure out more ways to engage more people so they know what city government does, what city government can do, uh, and the important role it has in impacting people's lives and hopefully making people's lives better. The people who are most engaged get that, right? And, and they also, when you're more engaged, you get a city government that maybe reflects the things that you want it to do uh and that's not necessarily the same things as the folks who are less likely to
1: engage in that conversation Mm. i think some of the things that you that you mentioned uh you know like the child care uh and the wraparound education uh day and um transportation and marijuana these are these are or the lgbtq those those are issues that affect um people with uh, you know lower incomes people of color uh, marginalized you know communities but it those communities don't at least in my opinion they don't seem to be catered to you know th- it's a it's a it's something that is campaigned on but it doesn't seem to be to be like we want to pass this or this is what I'm campaigning on but but I'm not gonna go and talk to you at your neighborhood or in your block or and when that happens, um, and they come out, then the person gets voted in, and then that's it. And then just kind of everything kind of stays like that, and and everything's the same. I th- I believe that that's some of the disillusionment, like or the disengagement of like, well, I'm gonna go and support the candidate, and then and then when that happens, and nothing changes. So why did I even go? You know, why does it? Why does it? Well. What would you say to, to somebody that, that, like that 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 is intentionally not doing it? So they're choosing not to because they feel this illusion.
2: Yeah, well, and for better or for worse, I think we set up government systems that change slowly. Uh, and so it's sometimes hard for, for folks to see the difference. Uh, but, you know, I see the difference being engaged in in, in doing the things I do. Um, one example that, that I that I talk about and it, it, I think I was having a, a particularly tough day, but I was driving to, to get my groceries. Um, and we had a big fight. This was maybe four and a half years ago, uh, at the beginning part of the Fluor Drive reconstruction project. Uh, we had a fight over whether or not, to. it was in line with our policy. We had a complete streets policy to have sidewalks on both sides and, we, we nearly didn't have sidewalks on both sides, but I had to push really hard to make sure that we had sidewalks on both sides. And I was driving to the high V on Fleur Drive. Uh, and you know, they're, uh, low income or affordable apartments sort of on Fleur Drive, uh, kind of near Bell between Bell and, uh, and Willemere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I'm driving out there, I see this family. It's, it's a mom and dad and their son and they're walking on the sidewalk because the sidewalk's done now. Uh, they're walking on the sidewalk South. Uh, and I, you know, I, half hour, 45 minutes later as I'm driving home, I see that same family walking now North on the sidewalk, carrying grocery bags. All three of them were carrying grocery bags, but that sidewalk made this community work a little bit better for that family, right? Uh, they, they can actually walk safely to the grocery store mm-hmm. and they might not have a car, but they can get their groceries a little bit easier because we invested in that sidewalk. That's a really small thing, right? Uh, uh, although it might not be such a small thing in their life. Uh, and there are all sorts of examples where if we do it right and we reshift our priorities, you know, I don't see every day the, the priority one sidewalks that we've started funding. And that was something we weren't doing before I was on the council. But we've identified what we call priority one sidewalks, which are, are the places in our community where there is no sidewalk to a school or to a transit stop. And there are almost 170 miles of priority one sidewalks. There are over 600 miles of sidewalk gap in our community. Mm-hmm. We're going too slowly there, but we're now doing it right? Those sidewalk gaps have existed for decades where we make it harder for people to walk to school or walk to a bus route. Every sidewalk gap that we fill in is making someone's life a little bit better. And if you have a different council and a council that acts a little quicker, we'll make more people's lives better quicker. We got to do those things and then we have to tell the story. uh, And we have to highlight how we've made life better for those families. There's a lot more that we, we have to do. I mean, and we go a lot slower than I would like. I mean, we're making changes. You talked about criminal justice reform. For the first time ever, we put our policies and procedures online for our police department. That's a small thing, right? That's transparency, but uh, you know, there's a saying, sunshine is the best disinfectant. Well, when you put our policies and procedures online, you all of a sudden start seeing. well, these are where our policies and procedures aren't in line with best practices. And so you start changing some of those things. Uh, you start doing things like we, we did a study on our data collection practices and for the first time ever, we're now collecting data on all stops. So, uh, a stop that doesn't lead to a ticket or citation that helps us know a little bit more about what we're doing, whether or not there's a disparate impact, mm-hmm. we're, we're building some of those foundational things for, for bigger change. It goes slowly and and it, it can be frustrating for folks, but those of us who are working to, to change things and to improve things, it's up to us to tell that story, to engage with as many people as possible so that, so that they know we're working to make things
0: better. That's a great point. I wanna ask a question about um, population growth or lack thereof in, uh, in Iowa and in Des Moines. Uh, here at Infinite Resources we see obviously the job market up close, right? We see uh, job seekers looking for work. We see companies looking for talent. Uh, I see that at Project Iowa, too, with folks looking for work. And I think we all know there's a talent gap. We don't have enough. We don't have enough people moving here. Um, We don't have enough growth. And everyone keeps banging their head against the wall trying to figure that out. But um, when you think about making Des Moines a place where people not just want to go to but, but remain in, um, what do you see, Josh, for, for the future? And as mayor, like, what can you do to, to kind of boost us in that area?
2: Yeah, so the, I think there are two pieces to that. Um, and and I'll, I I typically start on the opportunity side and go to the, the welcoming side, but, but this was more a retention and, and choose to be here. You know, we need to create a welcoming community, an inclusive community, a community where everyone is accepted for who they are. And so some of those things that we've talked about, whether it be the attacks on the LGBTQ community, the attacks on reproductive freedom in this state, when those things happen, there's, there are folks who, one, question whether or not they belong in the state. They're welcome in the state. And we need to send a different message uh, to, to everyone. We need to send a message to everyone and I should say, you know, when there are attacks on the immigrant community and our refugee communities, it's the same <coughs> thing. We need to send a message to everyone that they belong in this community, that our community is stronger when they're here and when they're part of it. And that, that's a part of convincing people to come here and to stay here. But we also need to make sure that this community works for folks. And that's some of the other pieces of the conversation we've been having strong transit system so people can actually be connected to jobs and services and amenities. We need to really address housing as a community because if you can't find housing that meets your needs at a price you can afford, fundamentally this community doesn't work for you. And we have not been building enough housing. We need to build more housing of all types and at all price points because if we don't, we're going to price more and more people out of this community. And that, that's another piece of what we can do to attract and retain people. We need to make, make things work for them here. And if we don't have housing that works for them, that's sort of the baseline for so many people.
1: You mentioned immigrants and uh, refugees, and would you support uh, uh, undocumented people to, have, uh, uh, to get a driver's license or an ID? Yes, I think that makes sense, right? Um, I think you wanna
2: integrate folks, uh, folks who are in our community want to help them integrate into the community as best we can.
1: And and the reason why I ask is uh, a lot of people think that uh uh well, you know, they think what they think but you know the the narrative is that they they steal jobs and that they don't pay taxes and that they're um I don't know um, uh, using uh, the social services that are, uh which is not true. All of it is not true. Uh they p- do pay payroll taxes sales taxes. Uh, we always talk about how undocumented people are the ones that are get abstracted the most. So the bank industry um, benefits from them. You can open a bank account with a 19 number. Um, you can start your own business with a 19 number, which you will eventually pay income taxes on. Uh, the insurance companies, you can get insurance and you know car insurance. The hospitality industry, you know, I mean, all the industries abstract things from, from the undocumented uh, community um, and payroll taxes, state taxes, you know, people uh, uh, pay that. Um, so why, why not give them a, uh, uh, you know, something that they can, you know, drive safely and, and which, right. it, you know, impacts
2: facilitates. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 So where does uh, this will be a chance for you to, trash your opponents (laughs) 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 where do they stand why should they go what you know we talked about all this marijuana and decriminalization and you know housing and school and all this stuff what what separates you from Connie uh and uh uh, Connie Bozeman and uh Denver but what what separates uh you from them yeah so some of it is is the policy
2: background that I have and that's part of where we started I mean I I have a range of policy experiences, but most importantly, you know, I've been an environmental attorney in Iowa for, for the last 11 years. Uh, it's not always easy to be an environmental attorney in the state. Mm. You bump up against some of the biggest special interests that exist in the state. Uh, and I've been willing to stand up to special interests and I think that's a differentiator, but I've been able to do it in creative ways and ways that advance policy. So it's that combination. It's not just a willingness to stand up, but it's a willingness to stand up and to push policy. And I've done that on, on a variety of issues, right? I've been a leading voice when we talk about making marijuana the lowest enforcement priority. I've been the one on the council pushing uh, to make policy changes like that. I've pushed on a variety of things to lead on how we improve our, uh, our police and public safety service thinking about how we do things differently, how we add accountability. I've been more specific. For example, I support a civilian review board that can be as strong as possible under existing state law. And I've worked with the community on a specific proposal that, that accomplishes that. I, I've stood up on issues, whether it be, uh, you know, I pro- had a proposal on reproductive freedom when when the state, uh, you know, when the state's looking to take away access and and ban, reproductive freedom and care, I identified things that we could do at the city level, things that other cities around the country have already done. uh, And I proposed that and led on that. And there are issue after issue where I'm going to engage and find the things we can do at the local level and push to get it done.
1: What is the biggest issue? What is the top five things that you're like, this has to change? Number one, what can you give us your priority list? Yeah, so I, I think housing
2: is, uh, is probably the biggest challenge that we have as, as a community. Uh, you know, you talk about growth and, and Des Moines' growth. Des Moines in 1960 had 208,000 people. Hmm. It wasn't until 2020 in the 2020 census that we exceeded that at 214,000. Wow. The metro's grown around us quite a bit. I mean, if you look since 2009, the metro's added 140,000 people. Des Moines was part of that obviously, but it took Des Moines 60 years to add 6,000 people. And this Metro added 140 in in 13 years. And then we, you know, we're anticipated to grow another 250,000 people. If we do not build housing and build a significant amount of it, what we are going to be doing as a community is pricing more and more people out of the community, making our community less affordable, and it's gonna work less well for folks. We're at the point where now is the time to address that, not 20 years from now when we have another 250,000 people living here. So I think a priority of mine is to make sure we do more from housing and to build more housing of all types and at all price points. Another piece of that, uh, I want to think about how we build our future workforce. So one of the things that we could do a better job of uh, is connecting folks to things like apprenticeship programs and pathways in the skilled trades. Uh, When we provide incentives for new buildings, I don't want to just build a new building. I want to build up the people who are building that building. Uh, And that's connecting them to apprenticeship programs so that they have the skills to work on that next building and the building after that, not not just one building. It's thinking about how we make an accessible community. And we've talked about some of these things from a transportation perspective but we need a better transit system than we have, and we need to diversify funding for transit. That needs to be a priority, or, or things like that don't happen. We don't create an accessible community. And then as we build our transportation infrastructure, we need to think about how we make, make our community more walkable, more bikeable, and incorporate all modes of transportation into our, our infrastructure investments. Those are some of the things that, that I think are immediate and doable and impactful.
0: When you're mayor, there's a lot of pressures facing you and, and time. it's always a time crunch and you have to make decisions about, um, do we focus on this or that, or how much time do we have to devote? Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of importance on working smart, not hard and not reinventing the wheel. So I'm wondering, is there a city or, or certain cities that you look to that are, that are a great model that Des Moines could follow on certain things?
2: Yeah, I, I think it, it's going to vary from issue to issue. I don't, I don't know that any one city has everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at some of the things, uh, I think the twin cities are interesting to look at from a housing perspective and some of the changes they've made uh, to allow more types of housing to be built in the community. We need to think about changes like that. I think there are other communities that have already started incorporating apprenticeship programs into their economic development model and. I could list a whole, a whole bunch that, that have at least pieces of it or, or things that we can look at from Omaha to Kansas City. To, there are a lot of places. Um, and then part of it is you need to engage with more cities and more communities. Um, a, a good friend of mine uh, has been on the Nashville City Council and was just elected mayor of Nashville. He represented a, a district that was pretty similar to mine that had some old neighborhoods, some of the downtown and now he's mayor of Nashville and he's someone who, when he was on the city council, we'd, we'd talk regularly, uh, just to exchange ideas. Cause they're dealing with some of the same things that, that we're dealing with, but they're also dealing with different things and you gotta be engaged with a wide variety of folks, uh, and look at a wide variety of cities to, to pull in, to pull in solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, another example, I had a chance, um, the center on policing equity. Uh, invited me to be a part of a cohort of elected officials just thinking about um, policing issues and and it was a series of webinars where you had folks talking on topics from data to school resource and uh, how folks were doing things in the schools to um, you know automated traffic enforcement or changing the way we do traffic enforcement and I was on calls with folks from uh, you know new New York and LA and, uh, also had smaller communities. Like it, it was folks from all over who had very different perspectives and very different access to resources or issues that they're dealing with. But just sharing of ideas cause you need to hear from folks and need to hear what's possible.
1: You mentioned that, um, that Des Moines has a, a, a weak city mayor system. Is that, am I saying it right? Yeah. And that, um, the strongest uh, uh thing that the mayor has is like the pulpit and the voice and the can you make a um a commitment or a promise to uh to people I guess or to whoever you want them to vote that like you will stick and, and uh tell the stories that the and push the the issues that uh that you're saying that you're supporting. Um that's part of I think that's part of the dissolution man with some uh, uh non voters is that You know, it's through the campaigns that happen, and uh, but up until that, once that happens, because I've never heard of the mayor speak anything like the. uh, I don't even know his full name, (laughs) so you know, like that's how much I don't know him. Like he's Mm -hmm. not, uh, he's not around. You know, so what, what, what can you tell the voters that? they can continue to see consistently out of you is this because that's the strongest right your voice and yeah and i want to engage in this job differently i mean i you know uh,
2: i think there are a lot of good things that that the current mayor's done but um i i think there there there's some gaps too and and i think one of the gaps is engagement at the local level and one of the things for example I, i don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about but i think we should do more budget workshops that are accessible to the public. And and we should be doing that in our public libraries and trying to engage and get our city budget in front of more folks. Uh, you know, I'm happy to, if you want me on this podcast, if yes. I'm fortunate enough to be elected mayor, I'm happy to come on this podcast regularly and talk about issues. I mean, we could even pick, pick a topic and dive into a topic in a lot more detail rather than cover a lot of different topics. I'm happy to engage in ways like this. I mean, I think this is a great way to, to reach folks. I've been doing things, um, you know, this campaign, uh, I, I've been going to church more. I, I don't go to church. I've been going <laughs> to other people's churches to, yeah. to, to just try and talk and introduce myself and engage with folks who maybe haven't seen anyone, uh, seen anyone before. Mm. And, and oftentimes on campaigns, people go to church like the last weekend or two, Before is a, is a campaign event. And, and I've been going all, all summer to different, uh, different churches. And I know there's more, you know, this community is big and there are a lot of folks who I still haven't reached, but I view the job. That's part of the job is to engage. And, and some of it is I rely on folks in the community to, to help introduce me and to tell me, okay, you need to come here. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to put in the time I'm willing to engage in as many ways as I
1: possibly can uh be. the Mexican president does um every single day a morning they call it the morning one. <laughs> it every morning he sends and does a press conference. Uh and who who was it? What president what US president did it? Um FDR. the radio. FDR, right? Yeah. he did on the radio. So yeah, the table the the you have an open invitation if you do become elected. Um maybe do a daily
0: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I'm going to commit to a daily <laughs> podcast, but, but uh,
2: I, I'm I'm happy to be a regular yeah. guest, and I'm happy to try and figure
1: out ways that that I can engage more. Yeah. Um, are we missing any other questions? I, I was hoping that we didn't. Uh, was, not uh, really. The, the we that covered was really, everything, but
0: really good. I think just um, you know any final thoughts um, for folks that maybe they're they're not sure who to vote for yet, or they're not sure if they're going to vote. I mean, what would you kind of leave them with? Yeah.
2: Well. I mean, really what what this race is about, it's about our future, right? It's about our collective future. It's about the future we build together. And I think about that a lot, right? My kids are seven and nine. And I think about when they're going to be 17 and 19. What kind of community will we have created? And that's not just up to me. That's up to the folks who who vote in this election, who engage in our community. And I want to make sure that we're creating a community that works for everyone and provides that opportunity to everyone. Like I said, I think about it, you know, most days uh, they're in conferences today. So I didn't start my day today that this way, but most days I start my day dropping my kids off uh, at their elementary school. And you see the full range of folks in our community. Uh, they are kids who walk to school who, who are getting dropped off. I mean, I, I've been there on, on days when it's been rainy and, you see kids walking to school without a raincoat or an umbrella. Uh, you see the full range of challenges that that uh, kids in our community face, and I want to make sure that this is a community that provides every single one of those kids and every single one of those families with opportunity. There's so much that goes into that, but if that's not your guiding star, right? If that's not what you're trying to accomplish, I think you're gonna you're gonna miss things. That's what I want to do is I want to create that type of community, that type of future. And I want to do it with with everyone who's willing to join me and be a part of that.
1: All right. Well, with that, we'll leave it at that. Thank you again, yes, Josh, uh, Josh, yeah. thank you uh, for having for, me uh, making time for us. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, we'll talk to you when you're mayor, Josh Mandelbaum. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I, I'm I'm either going to be mayor or still a council member. And
1: I, I, I'm willing to come back either way. All right. Thank All you right. very much. Just thank you, luck. Chris. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies.
1: Amplified.